This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there. Welcome to Life Elsewhere. I'm Norman B. Some months back, I had the good fortune to chat with Cathal Kublin, the acclaimed Irish musician best known for his work with Micro Disney and Fatima Mansions. He'd just released his latest solo album, Songs of Coatlin. We talked about his new album, and I said at the time, I'm going to invite Cathal back onto Life Elsewhere, because I could tell he had a lot to say. He had opinions, and we should hear them. So another session was arranged, and the result was over two hours of Cathal and I talking about everything from guns, art, music, and the state of our world. This, then, is part one of my in-depth conversation with Cathal Kuglin. I began asking Cathal for his reaction to the rave reviews Songs of Coatland had been receiving. Well, it's been a real shot in the arm, you know. I mean, I went into this with completely open expectations. I, I didn't... It's been a good while since I pulled one out, so I didn't know what to expect or what sort of response, particularly what, what sort of response and how to interpret responses and, and that kind of thing. So it's been terrific, a real shot in the arm, you know, it's, it's given everything a new, new lease of life. The last time that we spoke, we talked about that. We touched on your earlier bands, Micro Disney, Disney and the Fatima Mansions and we also sort of went off on a, on a couple of tangents. And what I'd like to do in this, this conversation is go off on as many tangents as you like. And when I suggested this idea to you, I also said we could interrupt the chat with your choices of music. And you sent me a wonderful list, a, a terrific list. I'm not going to go through them right now. But as we go, as we talk, we're sort of take a break and... You choose a, a, a cut here and a cut there, and it, it's a terrific selection of music. And I, I said to you in our preamble, this is almost like doing a kind of Desert Island Discs, which was a, a radio, gosh, it was a, a classic radio program on the BBC for years, and still goes on, I understand. Still goes on. It's a great younger producer now, uh, uh, presenter rather. Right. A uh, really smart woman. She, you know, she asks good questions, and they still get a lot of interesting information and cultural stuff out of people. It's a great program. Well, let's not copy it exactly, but this is going to be a little bit of our sort of version of of this. But we're going to chat about all kinds of things. So let's start off, Cathal, with the state of our world right now. Just before we went to, came on here talking on Zoom, the President of the United States was having a press conference in the Rose Garden outside the White House and is talking about new gun laws that he wants. He's, he's mad about, and he says that basically it's disgrace what has been going on in America for so long with so many gun deaths and it's an embarrassment um, the way the way we treat guns in this country. I wanted to start off with that because that's one part of what's going on in this country, but it's not something which happens to the same degree, certainly not like it does in America, in other countries. And I'd just like to get your take on our world now vis-a-vis -vis guns, Cathal. 
Well, strong arguments can be made for the need to possess a gun in order to protect oneself from the assumption that everybody around you is carrying a gun and means you harm. And in a way, that's the toughest thing to argue with as a, an outsider to America, because the people I know in America who who adhere to that viewpoint um, are able to make that case. You know, I need to be able to protect myself from criminals. Um, I really can't vouch for that one way or the other. I mean, I've spent chunks of time in America, so I, I, I do have some familiarity. Um, but the, it, is, it is absolutely true that the, 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 the school shootings and the race killings and those various other things that happened over the last few years would, would embarrass any democracy. They're, they, they're not a price worth paying, is, is, is my feeling as a, as a non, non-resident of the US. And you're right, it is very different elsewhere. Um, now, <laughs> Every country has its own variant of the glorification of violence, the, the, the ability to see the world selectively in white hats and black hats and, you know, we're the goodies, they're the baddies, and we have to be able to defend ourselves, we have to be able to eliminate them. Um, Britain has, gen has generally done this overseas through its armed services and certain unofficial bodies, shall we say, that, that operate on, on the fringes of, 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 of defence. Ireland, which is the other country that I know very well, um, has little or no history of gun ownership apart from political violence, um, mainly taking place either in the northern part of the, of the island or directed at the northern part of the island since independence in 1921. Um, the experience in that country of the use of weapons has been not a positive one. Um, it makes it very hard to normalize a country after conflict. The idea that there are people who literally know, other, know no other way of living apart from down the barrel of a gun. And it was only really because the United Nations, the EU, the British government, the Irish Republic government, and the US government took a strong hand in diffusing the situation in the late 1990s, especially, that there's been any, any shift in that. And I think it would be good if the US were able to bring those kinds of learnings from playing a positive role in ending conflict around the world. Um, to bear on, on its own situation. I mean, I, I really, th really think that would be a good thing because I think that equivalence that is drawn between I have to protect myself from the criminals, um, you know, diffusing that or at least debunking it to some degree so that at least people in suburbia don't feel they have to be armed to the teeth um, would be nothing but a positive development. And I mean, we all know the statistics of self-harm and accidental 
harm to others, you know, all this accidental stuff that goes hand in hand. I mean, I don't trivialize gun ownership, you know, and I think many people who own them don't do so either. And, you know, there, there is um, uh, hunting, you know, that can be the only way of obtaining fresh meat in, in a very large country uh, where food distribution isn't always the way it is in Manhattan or, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the more the more cosmopolitan parts of the country. But that's what I think as an outsider. I thank you for that. Because that's, I think, to hear somebody's opinion that doesn't live in America and is not American, I think it's probably for my listeners is refreshing to hear a, a different take. But when you come to America, and I just want to get your take on this, Cathal, one of the first things that struck me was that every cop has got a gun on their hip. And it's, it's quite, it's sort of like, at first, because you're not used to it, you kind of takes you by surprise. Let me get your take on that. Um, it does. It it does give rise to a different atmosphere um, from what I, as an outsider, am accustomed to, and it gives one the sense that one is in an armed, an armed situation from yes. the outset. Now, yeah. if one has lived in that situation all one's life, including in perhaps a small town where, you know, there aren't that many police, but they're all armed. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's really, you can't speak the language of Western Europe to people who've grown up in that situation. And I really wouldn't presume to, but I would just ask people to look at the damage that yes. has been caused. I mean, yes. especially by the, by the AR-15s and the, and those, stocks they put on them to make them automatic. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, it's hard to make the case that that is an actual defensive weapon. Yeah. And there was, there was cheap as chips and really easy to get. I mean, there is no way that there are not going to be mishaps in a situation like that. Right. They're easier to get than a driving license. And that's, yeah, that's, yeah which is, which is nuts. Let's move on just a little bit. And let's talk now about, the world, our world, the world that you and I are in right now. The big thing, of course, is, is COVID has been something that's upset us all in so many different ways. How has it been for you, Cathal? Um, with a new album coming out, it means you haven't been able to get up on stage on the way that you would like to, I would, I would presume. Just talk no. to me about how COVID has affected you as a performer. Uh, well, it's made everything complicated and it's made the future more, way more uncertain than it would have been otherwise. I mean, to music fans, it probably doesn't come as news that the, 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 the musician life um, has been getting more and more uncertain ever since, you know, ever since Napster yeah. um, essentially destroyed the, the business of uh getting paid for making records. Um, but I'm afraid this pandemic has put rocket boosters under the whole situation because nobody can really say what music venues are going to come back, what the, what the kind of contention level is going to be for people trying to book themselves into those venues, you know, when it is 100% in the clear and you know, how many people are going to be able to be admitted um, at a time and what does that mean for 
trying to cover your costs, you know, and it's just terribly uncertain and it just feels bad not being able to put these songs to the test, you know, directly after recording them, which has always been my my experience in the past and has been a major part of my development, you know, such as it is. So that's kind of rough. And the, the you know, the, the, the world will never seem the same again, you know, to those of yeah. us who have lived in built up areas yeah. um, for much of our lives. Um, it, it, things just won't ever look the same. Now, we have reason to hope that when the vaccines and hopefully the, the lack of mutation, further mutations, um, allows us to look on the world again. We, we, we all hope that there is going to be a bouncing, a bounce period where, if not the roaring 20s, and we, we do yes, yeah, experience yeah. A, an upsurge in, in, in common, common optimism between us all. But uh, what lies beyond that? I mean, I really don't, don't have the faintest idea. And uh, politically, it's just been the strangest thing ever. You know, it, yes. it, it has... It has certain precedents, but none of them are really directly applicable. You know, it isn't. It wasn't like the 1919 flu. You know, it didn't right. kill as many people yet, and we hope it won't. But um, other than that, <laughs> you know, yeah. very, very vague. I've got two follow-ups from that, because with a new album out and getting the rave reviews you've been getting, that's fantastic. But I get the feeling for you, for Cathal, getting the reaction from a live audience is worth its weight in gold. Yes. I mean, I didn't get to make a record until I'd been gigging for several years, you know? Yeah. And so that, that, that kind of feedback um, was the only barometer back then. And inevitably when you begin, a lot of the feedback is either neutral or, of right negative, you know, and uh, and that does help to form you. It helps to give you a sense of what it takes to survive and to and to make more work and, you know, what you could do or how you could react, you know, emotionally to the to the to the positive. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't positive times. Yeah. I mean, Dublin audiences made me, you know, really. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we me and Sean and the and the early micro Disney were able to go to Dublin and play from fairly early stage was what sustained us. And the people we met then, some of whom I still work with, um, you know, that's, that's really been a mainstay to me the, the whole way, but ne nevertheless, the, the, that, the, that way of perceiving the reaction to your work, I mean, it just can't be, can't be replaced if that's the way you've done things, you know? Yes. I want you to choose a piece of music before we get to that. One more question, which is leading on from what we're talking about. So think about the piece of music you're going to choose. But I just want to know from you, Cathal, um, it seems to me in the last couple of decades in the music business, uh, a lot of things have changed. And it's sort of, sort of culminated with COVID really changing a lot of things. And I, and I just wondered if... Ian Dury's famous line, sex and drugs and rock and roll, is still relevant. Well, I think Ian Dury was deliberately 
winding people up with that. Um, you know, because the, 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 just the differences between the choruses and the verses of, of, of the song, you know, do, do, do give something, do tend to give it another dimension. Um, but I think we have to be, you know, cautious about the first two, certainly, and, and the, the, the applicability of, of the third one as a, as a descriptive term has, yes. has diminished a lot over the years. I mean, certainly, I mean, the point, I mean, I'm not alone in this. I, I think I would point to the death of Kurt Cobain as possibly the, 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 the moment where, where a lot of the steam went out of that as a, you know, rock and roll is what we all do. Well, yes. is, is it really? I mean, yeah. I, you know, but then, you know, you can always find, you know, you look at someone like Mark Lanigan, who's a terrific writer and performer. Yes. From mm -hmm. that same period. And he's he's still doing great work. I mean, but that demographic thing. And, and I think it was, there was a lot of demographics about it. The fact that all those, all those young people sort of came of, came of teenage all at the same time in the late 50s, early 60s. You know, the, that was, a, that was a, a momentous event and it has not been replicated since. And the, the tropes from that time have to be sort of perhaps just put, on the, put into the kaleidoscope of culture rather than be said to dominate one particular wing of it, you know? Yeah. You're a man of words and I'm going to ask you a question after we play a mu uh, some music um, about language. So just bear that in mind. Um, sure. Let's choose a piece of music, or you choose a piece of music from the list that you gave me, and uh, we'll see what it is. How about Wire, Short Elevated Tune? Ah, yes. Excellent stuff. Okay. Wire, Short Elevated Period. Castle Kuglin's choice right here at Life Elsewhere.
That was Wire, Short Elevated Period, from Cathal Kuglin, his selection. We're going to put music in throughout the program. We're talking to Cathal um, about all kinds of things. His latest album, I just want to mention, in case you haven't listened to it yet, I do advise you to get hold of it. It's called Songs of Co Ackland. Great choice there, Cathal, um, from Wire. Certainly, I think, one of the most innovative bands at that period of time and possibly still doesn't get the, I don't know, the recognition. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I would, I, I would totally agree uh, that they, 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 they haven't had the full credit that was due to them. And it isn't like they haven't gone on producing good work because they have. And it isn't like they haven't, you know, gone out and played for people um, a lot, which 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 they definitely, you know, were doing right up to February of last year. You know, it's the the work is quite cerebral, I suppose, and it's um, it was never it was never that teenage thing, slightly on some other <laughs> yes. some other level. You know, the mixture yeah. of Collins' delivery and Graham's words and yeah, and the sometimes quite dark you know the, the, there's no there's no slow song quite like a wire slow song right um yeah. but uh you know it it thrilled us when when we were in our late teens when 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 they appeared and i think there still are young people getting into them you know so yeah it hasn't it, it isn't like they're they're slogging away in total obscurity but no. you you sometimes wonder how it is that say the cure who were great in their own way but are absolutely mega, you know. Yes. And yes. why are, are, you know, not, not sort of up there, you know. That's another subject to discuss. I mean, that's something, what, that's the most peculiar thing, isn't it? How, how do you ever know? It's just, and for you that's been in the music business and in bands that are, I mean, you're in that sort of category yourself, aren't you, in a lot of respects? I mean, Micro Disney and the Fatima Mansions and your new album, it's not something which has got, dare I say it, huge wide appeal, but the people that love it, love it. And I think we sort of consider Wire to be the same. Uh Certainly, yes. I mean, I think they 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 do better than I do, you know, and <laughs> and deservedly so. Um, you know, they, they they can book in American tours and things like that, which are yes, slightly tougher for me. For me. Um, so I I you know I wouldn't want to underestimate the the, the level of appreciation that right that yeah. there is for them, you know. Okay, let's get on to the subject that I I teased, and that is language. Now you you write interesting lyrics um, and you're a man that from my estimation um, is you're curious and keen and I would guess an, a, a, an avid reader. So language for you is important. Oh yeah. Terribly important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering about what has happened again. Things have changed and, and something that I've noticed that not just in music lyrics, but, in everyday language, from when you and I were growing up as teenagers, now conversation is, is spiced with the F word constantly, no matter where you are. And I'm not just picking on profanity. It's just that language has changed. I'd like to get your take on that. 
Well, I mean, I, I, I certainly can't claim to have been devoid of like loads of profanities in, in everyday <laughs> um, speech myself. But I, I mean, I, I have noticed lately that I'm doing it less because you don't want to waste the bandwidth. Yes. Um, uh, you just simply don't. I mean, it's like any non sequitur, really. Um, unless you are actually conveying rage or, you know, sexual desire, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we still suffer a lot. I mean, I just did it with that but, the word but. It doesn't yes. signify anything in it. Yes. I, I had occasion to do a lot of transcription last week. A bit of a first for me. And it was, okay. it was, it was, it was quite a long one. I was amazed by the volume of non sequiturs in my speech, you know, really. Uh, so I think it's expanded a bit. I think people, it may emanate maybe from the fact that people need to suss each other out a bit more carefully because we live in so many little microcultures that you want to be sure that what you're about to say isn't going to make you seem uncool or alienate the person, offend them perhaps, according to your own according to your own mores, you know, there may be things like that in, in action. And tech has infiltrated everyday speech. The mere fact that somebody will use air quotes or scare quotes or hash, will, will say hashtag before they say something. Uh, you know, I mean, these have no, no direct antecedents. They do hop directly off the screen and into people's into people's verbalizations, you know, so these may be some of the reasons why why language has seemed to smooth over. And marketing speech, of course. Yeah. It's no longer acceptable to simply accept an idea in what might be maybe 10 words if you can sum it up or something very like it can be summed up in, 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 in two words. You yes. Know? Yeah. Uh, simply because they've been used to advertise a product or they're part of some genre of media, you know, um, outside of the web. So I, I, I don't feel that it's necessarily a, a negative thing as long as people still are able to communicate what they actually mean. But if we can only speak to people within our own bubble, then that really isn't good. And it's not a luxury I've had because I grew up in what was essentially a bilingual society, or at least a, the Irish language was, had just undergone a heavy period of decline and they were attempting to resuscitate it. The, well, the government were attempting to resuscitate yeah. it. So it was being, it was being taught in school and it was essentially the kind of, it was the disciplinary language of school. Right. So when you wanted to, you, when you, wanted to say that you, you know, when the roll call was being done, a lot of the terms in the, in the roll call were done through Irish. And if you wanted to, to go out to use the bathroom, that you, you, you had to say that in Irish. And like, we all had relatives who spoke a lot of, a lot of Patois. So that was one thing. And the, our accents were quite heavy and a lot of the words in everyday kind of slang were Irish words that wouldn't necessarily be familiar to outsiders. So through immigrating and all the rest of it, I had to reevaluate my, my 
speech and then various other things happened later on with needing to communicate with younger people uh, that meant that I had to be kind of more uh, explicatory in my speech than with my music friends for example you know so I think the more a person can be exposed to other people's ways of speaking the better you know but yes none that's of us a are very perfect. very interesting explanation because I I would expect or maybe presume that a lot of my listeners here in the United States don't realize just how different it is or how different it was. I'm not sure it's still the same these days, but growing up with basically two different languages. Yes. And kids who've grown up in, in cultures that are fully bilingual. Yeah. Uh, you know, have such a head start in life. Yes. Um, it's seen here you know, quite a lot with um, South, kids from a, a South Asian um, uh, family background. You know, they'll yes. be speaking their South Asian language at home and they'll be speaking English the rest of the time. And it's relatively easy to, to, to pick up languages as an adult as a result, you know, and to, I mean, to understand semantic difference, yeah. you know, to, to be able to achieve articulacy and in a language, I think, is enhanced greatly by knowing that the way you grew up with it is not the only way that it is done, you know? Right, yes, yeah. Cathal Kuglin is my guest, and we're talking about all kinds of things. I want to talk to you about art and the, the creative world, but before we get to that, let's play another piece of music. Uh, let's have Scott Walker. Ah, yes. Why do you choose Scott Walker? Well, he's, he's, well, you know, he's my creative hero. You know, nobody ever again will occupy, I've said this many times, but nobody will ever have that arc through a creative life from being a teenage protege of Eddie Fisher in Hollywood yes. and seeking to become the kind of the next uh, Fabian or something of that kind. Yes. Uh, all the way from that to being a, a die-in of high art in, in London, you yes. know, decades later. We're not decades. talking, you know, you know decades yes. later of, yes. you know, some bumps and scratches along the way. So, Well, you um, can see, as I asked that question, there's a big smile on my face because I kind of knew the answer. Um, I just wanted to hear it from you. Let's play it and maybe we'll talk some more. See how they run. I brought my lords from New York. Some had butterflies, some had flags. I brought my Good news 
you cannot refuse The bad news is there is no news Tonight he'll rise He'll sell his arms To As in the wrist, as in you. 
If you're just joining us, my guest is Cathal Kuglin. And we're talking to Cathal about, well, all kinds of things. And we're playing music that Cathal has selected. That was Patriot from Scott Walker. And Cathal was just explaining why, why he chose Scott. And I, you gave a terrific explanation there. And pretty much word for word, the way I've always felt about Scott Walker. Um, what a voice that man has. Well, he was just phenomenal, you know, as a technical vocalist, it doesn't get a whole lot better. And yet he chose to put it to uses that people of that caliber, it doesn't usually cross their minds. But he was such, you know, the thing that came across about him in, in some of the more casual talks that he gave was he was such a music guy. You know, people thought for the last 10 or 20 years, all oh, these just too cerebral, you know, it's way out there. We can't get on with it. And I heard an interview that he gave on the BBC when the, when that album came out and uh, he was talking about the way that he, the, the, the ways that he had of taking care of his voice. And he said, you know, if you're a really great singer, like, and he named first of all, George Jones. Yeah. Yes. And then he named Leo Ferre, who's a, uh, who was a, a, a French, um, uh, Chansonnier, really, a, a, a originally a, a singer of of popular song who went a bit artsy himself, but not in the same way that Scott did, and quite a lot earlier, a little bit like Jacques Brel, but uh, much heavier. <laughs> yes, in, ter in, in in terms of his theme themes, um, he was still talking about that, you know, 
with with easy familiarity. He wasn't just listening to Ligeti all day. He, he didn't live in an ivory tower. He just wanted to do that work, you yes. know, that he, with yes. the work that he did so brilliantly. And yeah, I, I think none of us ever earns the right to to feel that other musical cultures, especially, are somehow of a lower order simply because they get played in truck stops or whatever, whatever, whatever the, right. you know, whatever right line criteria there, there are, because there is so much to learn about the musical universe, you know, and I'm still learning now, you know. Of course, you've always got to be learning. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I, I just, just should throw this in. I remember this is, this is many years ago. Um, asking Bowie, what he thought of Scott Walker and he, and I always remember this. It was, he, he stopped for a moment and he said, I can't wait to meet him. He hadn't met him at the time. I presume after that he did meet him at some point, but he hadn't met him. He said, I can't wait to meet him. I just, I'm such a big fan. And I always wondered how much influence that Scott Walker had on Bowie because they were round. Scott was a little, I'm presuming a little older. I'm presuming a, a little, yeah, not too and much. Yeah, he, he, but he, 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 Scott was successful in Britain much sooner than, than yeah, yeah, than, than right. Bowie and than Bowie, yeah. And uh, he began like covering the songs of Jacques Brel, yep. Uh, once he went solo, and um, I think that had quite an influence on Bowie, yes. And of course, the, the, the great thing was when, um, when. Scott kind of quoted him back with that drone sound on, on the electrician, the yes. late period Walker's Walker yes. Brothers track. Yeah. Um, and th there was one very, uh, I, you, I don't know if you're familiar with, with when it was Bowie's um, 50th birthday and he was interviewed on, on radio here on Six Music and Scott had pre-recorded a, a birthday greeting to it. And and boy was so overcome. I mean, it was a really sweet message. It was sweet uh, and profound, you know, because yeah. I think their birthdays were on consecutive days. Ah, okay. Um, so I, I won't spoil it, but I mean, you can easily get it on yeah, 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 YouTube with that kind of thing. But boy was really overcome, and yeah. and I mean, this was after so many years of success and yeah. You know, f having to refine himself uh, uh, creatively and and so on. You know, what a great story! Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Gathel, as we're talking about creativity, let's talk about the arts. And this is somewhat of a wide question, and I'm interested to know for you, as a as a creator, as an artist, I'm I'm wondering about your take on the creative world now. Let's just say the last the last five years are you seeing a change in attitude from your perspective in creativity that the world around us is affecting how people are approaching their creativity i am yes certainly um on the plus side i i, I see a lot of young music artists who are a lot more eclectic in their approach to the way they make the music and the influences they draw upon than we would have even conceived of being. And I think that's a wonderful thing uh, because 
whether one agrees with the means by which it happened or not, the accessibility of music is is there now as as never before. Where where I used to have to scour bargain bins in any city I went to to look for the Scott Walker things I didn't have. Now it's just a click away, and for some for some individuals that can lead to a blasé and dismissive attitude. But I th- I think it is nevertheless a powerful force in the way that young young people are doing things. I mean, there's a a young British artist called um, King Cruel, who I think is doing terrific stuff. And it, I mean, he sounds just like some strange cross between Lee Perry and Roxy Music um, with Great some combo. Blues, yeah. bluesier things thrown in, you know. And a, a, another young English group um, called Jockstrap. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, the, the, the sort of strange kind of Julie Andrews meets suicide kind of yes. thing that they do, you know, which kind of almost doesn't have antecedents. But on the negative side of things, I think the, the, the economic model, which would have allowed younger people to get involved and to kick over the traces and not really give much of a damn about having big, big success really quickly when one listens to mainstream radio, I, 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 I believe I can hear its influence there. You know, there was a lot of post this, that, and the other, which is not eclectic. It, it, in a way, it's kind of, the, the stuff I don't like is kind of rootless, you know, in that it doesn't even seem to aim for emotional impact in the way that something like Love Me Do <laughs> did you know even if love me do was just saying let's get it on baby you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. um uh that's sort of not not there in a way that i can understand or purple haze it's not it you know i mean any anything that one can point to from the the earlier times just had that ability to sort of kick off the traces and say okay we're gonna do one five four cards you know Bar cards, that that's good enough. Um, no, it's got, it seemingly has to be layered with some le- level of knowingness or um, something, something kind of ethereal about the vocal that doesn't really quite signify anything. You know, that's what I think anyway. But I, it's like we were saying a moment ago about language. I don't necessarily speak that harmonic language. So many of these. Uh, tropes of rebelliousness and so on, whether it's Mick Jagger or it's Rocky Erickson or it's suicide or something, you know, I mean, yeah. the, 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 these, these have um, historic and societal baggage that doesn't necessarily transfer, translate to the, to the world that the young folks are coming into, you know. You know, in our last conversation, I remember distinctly you said to me about how you met Sean O'Hagan and the conversation started off with, I think it was something like this. Do you like the fall or do you know a fall song? And and you said, yeah. yeah. And I was thinking about that before we started talking today. And I was thinking about how you mentioned at the time that it was such a preposterous and sort of a, a big headed sort of, I think I can't remember exactly what you said, but you 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 sort of mocked yourself for saying that. Oh yeah, yeah, deservedly so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So I was I was thinking about how how I'm sure people do that same kind of thing today. These genres and these sort of 
iconic bands or whatever that they mention and use as a sort of a stepping off stone. And, and I'm just wondering who, who, they, who people look at today. I do like, and I, and I wonder if you agree with me, that in the UK, I'm, that different kinds of music have always been acceptable in the mainstream market, whereas in the United States, it still is very segregated. And I don't mean black and white, I mean just genres. Certainly. Um, that is a difference that, as a stranger coming to the US, you, you just have no grounding to prepare you for. Um, but the country is so big. Yes. Uh, for one thing, and it was formed of regional cultures that were very, very different, really, until at least after the Second World War. So it's to be expected. But what's happened is that the music industry, I think, has sought to export that segmentation yes. to other parts of the world. Yes. Where it can feel like a, like a pretty, pretty naff experience. I mean, one thing that happened in Britain, and this wasn't imported from the US, by the way, but when it was decided that indie was a marketing term. Yes. And you, you could have somebody who was selling out, like, you know, Nebworth Aerodrome, like the thing to 200,000 people, and they were indie. <laughs> Whereas somebody who's got like too many cards in their songs or, you know, has listened to too much jazz or, or theater music or something like that, they're not indie. Uh, they, and they, they might be putting their own, they're putting out their own records. Yeah. That was the one that really annoyed me. And of course, I mean, dance music, what we, what we call dance music on, on this side of the world, bred so many, I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking of really is the, the era that grew out of house music. When house music and, was imported from Chicago and techno music was imported from Detroit to this country, it just set in train this balkanization of what was basically electronic music that whose genres were not really all that easy to discern from one another unless you were going to certain nightclubs and bringing bringing certain critical faculties to bear, you know. Which isn't to say there wasn't fantastic music. I mean, today I heard um, Promised Land by Joe Smooth, which is one of the original house Mm -hmm. records that got pulled in here. And it's still a brilliant and courageous... Absolutely, yeah. ...emotional record you know yeah we could go again we could go off on such a such a big tangent here i want to pull it back in and i want to ask you a question we're going away from music now but just in general and the question is what don't you like right now let's play some music first think about that question what don't you like so more music what do you suggest oh but daniel o'sullivan hickson traconis I'm going to ask you, well, let me ask you why right now before we, before we get to play that. More than any other one thing, it was when I heard this first, this track first, I think it was in 2015. It made the hair stand up on the back of my neck and made me think, no, I've got to do, I've got to do some music um, because I kind of drifted away a bit uh, into just doing live events and, and paying the rent and stuff like that. And um uh, it was when I heard this track, it just seemed to encapsulate so much about, you know, artsy pop from this side of the world in particular. That yeah. just made me think, no, the, here comes the ladder. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to grab back on, you know. Daniel is a terrific artist. He, he, he does great collaborations with other people as well as his own records. And this is a really special tune for me. 
Let's play it. Dandelo Sutherland, Hicksaint Dracones, suggested by a good friend, Cathal Kudlin. This is Life Elsewhere. I'm Norman B, and my guest is Cathal Kuglin. His new album is a must listen, it's a must get. Songs of Co Ackland, it's called, and it's been getting rave reviews and deservedly so. Cathal and I are talking about all kinds of things, and we just heard from Daniel O'Sullivan, Hick St. Jacones is the title. One of the things that I should let everybody know is that the music that we're playing in the program has been carefully curated by Cattle, and we thank him very much for that. My question for you that you've been thinking about, what don't you like right now? I don't like the culture wars that we're in. That, I mean, I think that's a, it's a, it's a huge, huge, huge subject. So I'll, I'll try to just focus on one element. It seems to me that in the English-speaking world at least, and some of the non-English-speaking world also, there is no issue that cannot be turned into a wedge to turn people against one another for small, sectional, quite often financial gain by unprincipled people. And the main thing I didn't like about the pandemic, apart from the fact that it was killing people and putting them into putting some of the living into terrible emotional distress was the fact that it exposed a number of individuals who are not afraid 
to manipulate the situation to turn people against one another. And one can have any views one wishes in terms of how the disease should have been fought or how people should have lived through it. That isn't really the thing I'm thinking of. I think there were cruel individuals who saw it principally as a means of dividing people. And that, that is a terrible thing in the world. Yes. So I don't like it. <laughs> My conversation with Cathal Cooglin continued on, but because of the time restraints, we're going to air it in two parts. You just heard part one. Thank you, Cathal, for sharing your opinions, answering my questions, and selecting excellent music. Thank you, Norman. I've had a great time. You have been listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind-the-scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. Mm-hmm.